0: Section 41 of Uncollected Short Stories by Lucy Maud Montgomery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wesley Dimery from Houston, Texas. Uncollected Short Stories of Lucy Maud Montgomery by Lucy Maud M- Montgomery. Chapter forty one What Happened at Brixley's It's a downright shame the way Alf Logan and all those corner town road boys persecute Lig Bondy, said Frank Sheraton, dropping down on the porch steps. What do they do? asked his cousin Fred, looking up from his book. Everything. I was down at the blacksmith's forge this evening, and Alf was there with a crowd of his satellites, bullying and bragging as usual. Lig came along, and they guide him in every way they could. He feels so badly over it, too. He almost cried today. Alf jeered at him, and the other boys laughed and applauded. I told Alf it was a shame, but I was only one against them all. Lig was on his way to the brook for a pail of water, and when he was coming back, Tom Clark pretended to run into him and tripped him up. The water was all spilled, and it's no easy job for Lig with his weak back to carry a bucket up that hill. I went and carried the second one for him, and those Cornertown bullies didn't meddle with us. They played every kind of mean trick on Lig. But he doesn't mind that as much as the fun they make of him. It makes him wild to be laughed at, and they know it. The rest of the boys wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for Alf Logan. He has a kind of chieftainship over them some way. What with his bluster and his boasting, they think him a regular hero, and they follow his example in everything. I believe Alf Logan is a coward at heart, said Fred. Of course he is. Do you suppose a boy who wasn't a coward could take pleasure in persecuting a poor, simple chap like Lig? Alf likes to bully boys that can't defend themselves. "'but he's mighty careful to keep clear of all those who can. "'I'd like to give him a settling down, "'but I don't want to get into a scrap with corner-town rowdies, "'even for Lig's sake.' "'Of course not,' agreed Fred, "'but perhaps we'll get a chance to take Alf Logan down a little yet. "'If we could only make him ridiculous in the eyes of his admirers, "'it might destroy his influence, "'and maybe they would leave Lig in peace.' About a week later, Frank came home with another story. I tell you, Fred, there was some fun on foot at the forge today. Alf Logan was there and was giving the details of some wonderful adventures of his down at the harbor. And the crowd was drinking it all in when Lig came ambling along and began to tell his story. You know that old tumble-down shanty in the hollow of the Jersey Road that the Brixleys used to live in? Folks say it's haunted. Goodness knows why it should be, and I'm sure the poor Brixleys were nearly as silly and quite as harmless as Lig himself. But that's the report, and scary people give that house a wide berth after night. Well, it appears that Lig was coming past there about 9 o'clock last night, and just as he got opposite the door, you know it's right close to the road, a great tall white figure popped out and flew at him. Lig is a truthful fellow, so he must have seen something—a white cow, or horse, or perhaps a wind-blown paper. He took to his heels and ran for dear life, with that ghost chasing him as far as Stanley's Hill. When it suddenly disappeared, well, Lig reeled all this rigmarole off it in his own peculiar fashion, and dilated on the scare he had got quite proudly. The boys pretended they didn't believe a word of his yarn and badgered him until he got mad as hops. Alf Logan had the most to say, of course. He didn't believe in ghosts, not he. And if he was to meet one, he wouldn't be scared of it, not much. He'd ask no better fun. He'd march right up to and ask what it wanted. You wouldn't catch him running away like a scared baby. Lig may be simple-witted, but he has his cute moments, too. He spoke right up and told Alf that he wouldn't go past the old Brixley house himself after dark. Alf said he'd just as leave-go past it and through it on the darkest night that ever was as not, and then leg up and dared him to do it. Of course I couldn't help chuckling. Alf looked so flat, but he couldn't back out after all his bragging. Of course I'll go, he said loftily. Don't some of you fellows want to come along too for the fun of it? I thought that was a pretty barefaced dodge to get company for the escapade, but it seemed to pass. Tom Clark and Chad Morrow, Ned and Jim Bally said they'd go. Chad is a bit jealous of Al, so he'll see. There's no shirking. They're to go tomorrow night, and look here, Fred. Alf Logan is going to see a ghost. Then, if he never saw one before, and never will again, and I want you to help me a bit. The next night was just such a one as a ghost, if at all particular in his choice of scenic effects, would have chosen to walk abroad in it. It was cloudy, but a full moon behind the clouds gave a dim, weird light, and a chill east wind moaned and shivered among the trees. Alf Logan and his cronies, walking by no means briskly up the Jersey Road, shivered too. Just at that moment Alf would have given a good deal to be well out of the adventure. There ain't no such thing as ghosts anyhow, said Tom Clark, breaking a disagreeable silence. Of course there ain't, said Alf loftily. Nobody believes in 'em nowadays except fools. And what was it that Lig saw? whispered Ned Bowley, nervously. Shut up, growled Alf. Lig beat's scared of his own shadow. I don't believe he saw anything, he was just yarnin'. Supposin' we do see something, suggested Chad Morrison. What will you do, Al? You heard me say what I'd do, didn't you? retorted Alf angrily. Shut up your talk about ghosts. You'll scare yourselves and be running off and leaving me first thing. The other boys resented this slur on their courage and relapsed into sulky silence. As they neared the dreaded hollow, dark and mysterious in the shadow of the firs that surrounded it, They drew closer together and glanced nervously from side to side. The old Brixley house was indeed a tumble-down place. It had almost fallen into ruins. Doors and windows were gone, and the framework was decayed and rotten. With hesitating steps, Alf and his comrades shuffled through the weeds of the old yard and stood at the entrance of the kitchen. Well, ain't you going in? asked Chad, rather tauntingly, as Alf peered doubtfully into the darkness. Yes, I am, said Alf desperately. Come on, you fellows. What's here to be scared of? In another moment, they had crossed the threshold and were in a small square room that had once served the Brixleys as a kitchen and parlor and dining room. All was quiet and dark. Something scurried overhead, a rat or a squirrel, but the sound made Alf break out into a cold perspiration. He laughed nervously. Well, there ain't no ghosts yet, boys. You've got to go through every room in the house, you know, said Chad. There's a bedroom at the other side of this, and two more up in the loft. That was the bargain. Alf, with a forlorn attempt at a whistle, started across the creaking floor. They had almost reached the door of the inner room when a dreadful thing happened. In the doorway appeared a tall, white figure whose head reached quite to the ceiling. Huge, shadowy wings flapped and waved about it, and apparently in the middle of this horrible apparition was a flaming face with hollow, cavernous eyes. At the same time, a wail of most discordant agony that ever fell on human ears resounded through the house. With a yell of terror, Alf Logan wheeled about and made a blind dash for the door, followed by his terror-stricken comrades. Crossed the yard, over the hollow, and up the hill they flew with frantic speed, never daring to glance behind, although the dismal wail still followed them on the wind. When the last echo of their flying feet had died away, the ghost burst into a shout of very human laughter and proceeded to take off the pillow slip stuffed with shavings that was on his head. "'Come here, Fred, and unpin a fellow," he called. "'I'll never get these sheets off alone.' Fred Sheraton popped out of the inner room, laying on an old fiddle, on the window ledge. Did you ever see anything so funny? He laughed. How those fellows did run. They're running yet, I bet, said Frank. The fearful noise you made on the fiddle scared them worse than I did, I believe. Alf will never hear the last of this. If Alf Logan cherished any hope that his ghostly adventure might remain a secret that Hope vanished when he got to the forge the next day. He was greeted with derision by all the men and boys assembled there. Ligvondi had at last turned the tables on his old tormentor. Chad Morrow, who had not made any pretensions to valor in the manner of ghosts, and so did not mind owning to a scare, had told the whole story of Alf's panic and flight. To make matters worse, the truth of the story soon leaked out, and Alf had not even the consolation of thinking it was a real ghost he had run from. Alf Logan's homemade ghost passed into a byword along the Corner Town Road, and Alf's chieftainship among the boys was gone forever. He had showed himself both a braggart and a coward. Thereafter, Lig Vondy was left in peace. As Frank said to Fred, "'Our grand ghost act was a decided success, old fellow.'" End of section 41.